Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of 1 Kings. The book of 1 Kings and chapter number 10. The book of 1 Kings and chapter number 10. We are now on our last few messages of the life and ministry of Solomon. After today, if I remember correctly, we are down to four. So we're at a very tail end. Now, again... If you would notice that most of the messages have all been about Solomon and his walk with God. And Solomon had a walk with God for many, many years. In fact, he was king for about 20 years before things started to slip and things started to fall apart. We've already got to the height of his ministry with the queen of Sheba coming to visit and the half has not yet been told how even the servants were happy. They were glad to serve. They were glad the people in the kingdom were happy. But then as the money began to roll in, that money began to replace And now we find where Solomon begins to slip. Remember, it was not the women that was the downfall of Solomon. That before anyone ever has a public fall, it starts with a private failing. And we're going to explore that private failing tonight as we look at the book of 1 Kings in chapter number 10. The book of 1 Kings chapter number 10, and notice with me if you don't mind in verse number 26. 1 Kings chapter 10 and in verse 26, notice what the word of God says. And Solomon gathered together chariots and horsemen, And he had a thousand and four hundred chariots and twelve thousand horsemen whom he had bestowed in the cities for chariots and with the king at Jerusalem. And the king made silver to be in Jerusalem as stones and cedars made he to be as the sycamore trees that are in the vale for abundance. And Solomon had horses brought out of Egypt and linen yarn. And the king's merchants received the yarn or linen yarn at a price. And a chariot came up and went out of Egypt for six six hundred shekels of silver and a horse for a hundred and fifty. And so for all the kings of the Hittites and for the kings of Syria, did they bring them out by their means. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of 1 Kings chapter number 10? The book of 1 Kings chapter 10, and notice with me in verse number 26. 1 Kings chapter 10 and verse 26, notice the phrase chariots and horsemen. Chariots and horsemen. And this is going to be the subject that we're speaking about. The very first place where Solomon begins to slide, where he begins to slip. And it's all over this issue here of chariots 
and horsemen. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come to you now, we're just asking that you would give us much wisdom and much discernment that we would be able to just to see past uh, the facts and figures, but would be able to have discernment, to have this perception, to have this understanding of what is going on and that we may apply it to our own lives and be warned that it is the little things that start building up in our life, not the big things that make the difference to steer us towards you or to steer us away from you. Again, I need your Holy Spirit in a special way to do a work in the hearts, to be able to hold up the mirror in the faces of us all that we can have an accurate vision of ourselves and that we're not looking at everyone else and trying to accuse everyone else, but we would be honest with ourselves and that if there's anything that we've let loose, anything that needs to be shored up, anything that needs to be corrected, no matter how small it is, We'd be willing to get things right with you for the purpose that we could keep your blessings upon our life and not end up falling over the edge when it is too late. Lord, you spare a life even tonight. You do something to change the life of, a, of eternity, even if it's not quite apparent. Just a small little course correction can make all the difference. Lord, let us be discerning and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you don't mind, may I start off with this statement here as we uh, examine this. The first thing I'd like to bring to your attention from this passage is the chariot arms race. The chariot arms race. This is kind of a good statement to explain what is going on in this segment that we just read of 1 Kings chapter 10, verses 26 through 29. What is happening is a chariot arms race. Now, given the size and the scope of the empire that um, Solomon had inherited from his father, David, Solomon in no doubt needed means for transportation and trade. He needed to be able to uh, transport the things. If you could remember, he's transporting gold from all over the area. He's transporting cedar. He's transporting these valuable things. He's transporting spices. He's transporting all these other things. And so without a doubt comes with it that there has to be a protection to make sure that all of these things are taken care of this. Beyond this, horses were prime war material in those things, particularly for pulling chariots. So multiplying horses would end up indicating a territorial aggression. You're starting to prepare an army. And as you start to prepare an army, there goes with it the idea of, is the army going to be used? Notice with me again in verse number 26. And Solomon gathered together chariots and horsemen. And he had a thousand and four hundred chariots and 12,000 horsemen whom he had bestowed in the cities for chariots and with the king at Jerusalem. Now Solomon had started to gather these things up. We know that David had a little bit of chariots, but Solomon began to mass them in material. Now at this time, we understand we're thinking about the ancient world. In that ancient world, the warfare of chariots and horses were equivalent to our tanks. It is a very big deal. And so if you can imagine a tank versus a guy with a gun, who is going to win? 
Well, the tanks are, of course. Well, the ideas of the chariots and the horses, as he is starting to amass this, he's starting to amass a huge uh, defensive and offensive army. He is making this big preparation. Solomon had these horses that are now transported. And notice where he's transporting them from. Notice with me in verse number 28. And Solomon had horses brought out of Egypt. The next verse then reveals further proof of his departure from these royal guidelines. He imported chariots and sold the horses to other nations. Notice with me verse 29. And the chariot came up and went out of Egypt for 600 shekels of silver. So it's giving the price of one chariot. Then it gives the price for a horse. Not just a horse, but this is the idea of a war horse. Not just something you would use out in the field, but a special war horse that's trained. Something that would go with it. And a horse for 150. And so they're starting to pull this together. And what this is, is a 10th century B.C arms race. That he's beginning to gather all of these from Egypt. Egypt had chariots for a while. Now Solomon's beginning to gather this up. And then what he does, just to show that what's further wrong with this, verse 29, and a chariot came out of Egypt for 600 shekels of silver and a horse for 150. And so for all the kings of the Hittites and for the kings of Syria, did they bring out by their means? So what Solomon does is he begins to arm the Hittites and he begins to arm the Syrians, not the Assyrians, but Syria, by the way, which is still a problem in the Middle East today of Damascus. That's its headquarters. We still hear that in history today. He begins to arm these nations. Now, if you are going to continue further into your Bible, you're going to find out what are two nations that continue to give problems to Israel later on? Hittites and Syrians. He is arming these people who are going to be their, his enemies later on. He's preparing them. He's giving them as gifts as they're having this big arms race with the idea of nuclear uh, deterrence. Hey, we have nukes, you have nukes. Now, therefore, no one's going to attack each other because we're all afraid we're going to blow up the world. So you have tanks, you have tanks, you have tanks. All right. Well, we're not going to declare war on each other because it's going to be messy. The Hittites are now building up. The Syrians are building up. Solomon is building up. Egypt has had this for a while. What you're having now is a change of warfare with this new technology now being spread, not just kept as a secret now, but is now beginning to be spread, proliferated, and it is Solomon who is doing this. And in doing so, Solomon has now violated what some may call a smaller precept of God's law. First given to Israel 450 years before this. That God had already said, don't do this. So with this in mind, that's the backdrop of what's going on. It may look small. You read this and say, ah, what's going on? This is just history. But what we're seeing is the violation of a very small principle that is going to allow Solomon to take further steps away from God. Remember, there is a precept that light obeyed produces more light. Light disobeyed produces more darkness. And it is always done step by step by step. Solomon has taken a small step of disobedience away from the Lord. That's going to allow him to take another step and another step 
and another step until he is so far from the Lord, he can't tell what's right or wrong anymore. So we start off with this chariot's arm race. Let's now dive into what is the matter with this. We see the result of violating small principles. The, the result of violating small principles. With this, turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy. And let's see where God gives this principle. The book of Deuteronomy chapter 17. The book of Deuteronomy in chapter number 17. Why is this such a big deal as we're turning to Deuteronomy 17? Because some people have categorized sins in their mind as their big sins and there's little sins. Big sins is murder, adultery. But the Bible talks about that God says all sin is sin. Not all sin has the same consequences, but God hates all sin. There's no sin that he winks at and says, oh, that's all right. That's cute. That's fine. God hates all sin. But the principle is, is that if we categorize sins as big sins and little sins, then when you feel the idea that it's all right to violate small sins, it's all right to have small sins. It's all right to violate small things of the truth. When we understand that that opens the door for us violating bigger things of God's law. Notice with me in Deuteronomy chapter 17, and let's see where God actually states this. Deuteronomy 17, and notice with me starting at verse 14. Deuteronomy 17 and verse 14. When thou art come unto the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, and shall possess it, and shall dwell therein, and shall say, I will set a king over me. Let's pause. Remember that when God first set up the law, it was set up to be a theocracy where everyone had to look at God. Later on, they all say, oh, wait, we want to be a, have a king just like the rest of the nations. God said that was going to happen before it ever happened. He already knew what was going to happen. He says, when this happens and you set up a king over like as all the, uh, um, the nations that are about me, verse 15 Thou shalt in any wise set him king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall choose. One from among thy brethren shall thou set king over thee. Thou mayest not set a stranger over thee, which is not thy brother. But he, that king, shall not multiply horses to himself. Now think about this. God says, all right, a king's going to set up. You need to make sure he's Hebrew and not anything else. And God says in this prediction, 450 years before it happens, there's going to be a king that sets up. And I'm going to tell him, don't set up, uh, multiply horses. Imagine out of all the things that God could have stated, this is what he stated. But he shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt. Where were they getting the horses from? Egypt. Egypt to the end that he should multiply horses. So don't go to Egypt to go multiply horses. So not only don't multiply horses, don't go to Egypt to go get them. Where did Solomon get them? Egypt. It's almost like he saw this and purposely did the opposite of it. To the end that he should multiply horses for as much as the Lord hath said unto you, ye shall henceforth return no more that way. 
Verse 17, so we have verse 16, the first step. Notice a further step, verse 17. Neither shall he multiply wives to himself, that his heart shall not turn away. Neither shall he multiply to himself silver and gold. Hey, what did Solomon do? He violated all of this. He multiplied horses. He went back to Egypt. He multiplied wives. And then he treasured this silver and gold. It's almost like God knew exactly what was going to happen. And he gave a warning, don't do this. And Solomon did exactly this. He, Solomon didn't just do one or two of these. He did all of this. God said, don't do this. Now, why did God not want Israel's uh, kings to import war horses? Well, again, as I said, the armored war horses and the chariots they pulled would be compared to today's tanks, which are devastating when fighting against foot soldiers. A nation with this level of war material would put their reliance, their dependence on it as it made the army more powerful fighting machine. Why should a nation trust an invisible God when it could just use rank upon rank of seemingly invincible horses and chariots? If you had to trust an invisible God over an army of tanks, which one would you tend to trust more? Well, of course, because you see them, you would trust the tanks. That's the principle that God is trying to say, that if you multiply and put this big army, your dependence is going to be the army. And when you're no longer dependent on God, you are going to open yourself to disobey God in more areas because you're no longer dependent on him. If you need God to help you, you're going to do everything you can to obey him so that way he helps you. There's just something to it. It's very hard to say, hey, God, can you help me out when you're disobeying everything? There's a mentality to this. By the way, Solomon knew this. He knew this. How do you know he knew this, pastor? Well, hold your finger here. We're coming back. But let's hit a couple pit stops. Notice with me Proverbs. Proverbs 21. Class, who wrote Proverbs? All right. So let's see what Solomon wrote just to see if he knew this principle. Proverbs 21. And notice with me verse 31. Proverbs 21 and verse 31. I'll let you turn there. Proverbs 21 and verse 31. I like hearing the pages of scripture turn. It's important for you to see it for yourself, especially by the end of the message. Notice what it says. Proverbs 21 and notice with me verse 31. Proverbs 21, 31, the horse is prepared against the day of the battle, but safety is of the Lord. Meaning that you can go ahead and make practical preparations, but your dependence is not on the horses. It's on God. So Solomon knew this principle, but yet he's getting to the place where I don't need God because I have a good army. He's now violated his own proverb, his own bit of wisdom. An issue of importing horses may have been a small thing to Solomon, but it was important to God because God said, don't do it. From all indications, his compromise in this matter began his slow separation from God. Remember the idea that I say about discernment. Discernment is not seeing where people are at. It's seeing where people are going. What happened is that Solomon began to take a small detour. He looks like he's still close to God, but now he's angling a little bit different. And as time goes on, step by step 
by step. He's getting further away from God. Light obeyed produces more light. Light disobeyed produces more darkness. What happens when someone is following the Lord, they make a decision to do something small. Well, I'm just not going to read my Bible today. Oh, I'm just going to skim the page. Oh, I'm not going to show up to Sunday school. Oh, I'm going to neglect my prayer life. It's small steps, bit by bit by bit. And then all of a sudden you go, well, I'm not even close to God with anymore. I have no interest. I'm just going to do whatever I want. That's the idea is slow separation. And for the idea of discernment, we need to be able to spot those small steps will turn into a big chasm over time. It is those small steps. It is not the big sins that get us in trouble. It's the small sins that we violate. And we say, what's no big deal? It is a big deal because it's taking us further from God. Step by step by step. And what's worse, Solomon knew this. And he took the steps anyways. Why would he still do this? Why would he continue on even if he knew it was wrong? Well, turn with me to another book. The book of Ecclesiastes. Did Solomon write Ecclesiastes? All right, so let's look at what he says in the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, granted, Ecclesiastes written at the end of his life where he's far away from God. But notice, he explains what the principle is. Ecclesiastes chapter number 8. Ecclesiastes in chapter number 8. Ecclesiastes in chapter 8. Notice with me if you don't mind. So if you're in Proverbs, pretty much the next book over. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Notice with me in verse 11. Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and verse 11. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. What is this saying? It says, because lightning did not crash upon you and the building didn't collapse when you first did the small sin, you're like, well, I guess God doesn't really care. And you do another sin. Oh, lightning didn't scratch. Oh, building didn't fall in. I could take another one. What happens is that because your expected result of lightning hitting you didn't happen, oh, well, I guess God really doesn't care. Does God care? Absolutely he does. But God's allowing us to do what we want. Sometimes that's the worst punishment is that God allows us to have what we think we want. You don't want to obey God? Okay, fine. Lightning's not going to hit you. You could go ahead and do whatever you want. Well, there's going to be consequences for it. Let's take some guy. He grows up in a good church, but he's never made a clear decision to follow after God. And so he begins to work. And he's working. He's a good young man, tries to do what's right. But he gets with his friends and his friends said, hey, man, um, we're going to go stop by the bar later on. And I know that you don't drink and that's fine. We're just going to hang out and you go ahead and have a Coke. No big deal. And so the kid goes to the bar. Doesn't drink, but lightning doesn't strike. Earth doesn't open up and swallow him up. Nobody hits him on the way back home from there. Nope. Doesn't seem like anything happens. Hey, you know what? It's all right. I had a good time. No big deal. And so he begins to go again and again. Next thing you know, there's a birthday party. And so they go, listen here, we're having a birthday party. We got to celebrate. No one celebrates with a Coke. What's the matter with just 
one drink. And so they talk him into having a drink. World doesn't end. Lightning doesn't strike. No car accident on the way home. No big deal. And so he has another. He starts drinking with his friends more often. Then he starts drinking when his friends are not around. Next thing you know, he loses his family, loses his home. He's out in the street. Why? Because he took a step and then took another one and took another one. And the next thing you know, he's where he wanted to. Taking a step further and further away from God, where he no longer cared about what God said. No longer cared. He just wanted what he wanted. And those steps from God just brought him further and further and further away. We have to understand there's a principle here that God will let you take that step. He will allow you. He's, God will not force himself upon you. You have all the freedom of the world. But there's consequences for that. One step after another after another. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. Therefore, the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. I got away with it. Nothing happened to me. I can do it again and do it again and do something else and do something else. Getting further and further away from God. What a horrible principle. Because he violated a small principle, it then allowed him to violate even more principles. In Deuteronomy, where we read up before, because he disobeyed God and the horses, he later on is going to disobey God in the wives. And because he disobeyed in the wives, his heart is going to be further away from God and he starts worshiping false gods. His first step was not the false gods. His first step was not the wives. His first step was violating a very small principle in the Bible that didn't really seem to matter to anyone. That one step led to another, to another, to another. Notice with me Psalm 11. Psalm 11. Sorry, yeah, Psalm 111. Psalm 111. Psalm 111 and verse number 10, a very important verse. Psalm 111 and verse 10, the Bible says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That sounds familiar. We've seen it. It's listed twice in Proverbs. And now again, it's in Psalms. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments. His praise endureth forever. You understand the fear of the Lord is what keeps us doing what's right. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And because of the fear of the Lord, I'm going to take the next step towards the Lord, not away from him. I'm keeping my eyes on him. You understand, you could take a step away from God. Lightning's not going to strike you. What's going to keep me on the path? Keeping my eyes on him. That's the goal, keeping my eyes on him. Once my eyes are off of him, I start stepping away from him because I'm looking at something else. Keeping your eyes on him. So what's the answer? What was the answer? What should have been this idea in the first place? Well, hopefully you've been keeping your finger there in Deuteronomy. Turn back with me if you don't mind. 
So in the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 17, it says that when a king comes up, make sure that he comes from the people. But listen, the king's not supposed to go multiply horses. He's not supposed to multiply wives. He's not supposed to bring them out of Egypt. If he multiplies wives, he's going to start going for gold. And then his heart's going to be treasured. All of that he violated. But you know, in the same passage, God said, here's how to prevent that. Here's the answer. Here's how to stay close to God. Well, notice with me in verse 18, Deuteronomy 17 and verse 18. And it shall be when he, the king, sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write him a copy of the law in the book out of which is before the priest of the Levites. And it shall be with him. And he shall read therein all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and to keep all the words of the statutes or of the law and these statutes to do them. Pause. You know what the answer is? The kingly challenge. He was supposed to, when he became king, to make sure he hand wrote the Bible. What's the principle? So he has a copy of the word of God for himself. You know how to keep close to God? First of all, make sure you have your own personal copy of the word of God that you have available. You have your own copy that you can read for yourself. You are supposed to read it for yourself. You're supposed to be able to have it so you could see it. This is the thing that they were supposed to write it down. Even though Solomon could have taken David's Bible, he was supposed to handwrite it so he had his own copy for himself that he could learn from, that he may learn. Now, why? That it may be with him, verse 19, and he shall read therein all the days of his life. Not some of the days. He's supposed to be in his Bible every day. That he may learn the fear of the Lord his God. Didn't we just read about this? How do we stay on the straight and narrow? By looking at the Lord. How do we keep looking at the Lord? By being in your Bible every day. The greatest thing you could do as a Christian is to be in the word of God every day. This is vitally important. So you keep your eyes on God. If you get your eyes off the Lord, you start stepping away from him. You need to be in the Bible every day for yourself. Notice as it goes on. Verse 20. That his heart be not lifted up above his brethren, that he turn not aside from the commandment. Is that what we were speaking about? That they're supposed to stay in the Bible every day, keeping their eyes on the Lord, so they keep walking towards them. But if they're not in the Bible every day, they're going to violate commandments. They're going to turn aside and start stepping away from God step by step by step. That his heart be not lifted up above his brethren, that he turn not aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, to the end that he may prolong his days in the kingdom, he and his children and the midst of Israel. Here we could see that God blesses it and God keeps us on a plain path and he doesn't want us to go astray. But where did the fall of Solomon begin? One step. He got his eyes off the Lord because he wasn't in his Bible as he should. Remember, before anyone ever has a public fall, it starts with a private failing. Every time someone falls away from God, the very first step is they were out of their Bible. They were not in their Bible the way that they should. 
They didn't have their eyes on God. They got their eyes off the Lord. I cannot stress to you how important it is for you to be in the Bible for yourself. And by the way, not just reading it so every eye is uh, on the word of God or touches it. Okay, good. You need to understand. You need to saturate. You need to hide it in here. This idea of of, um, a chapter a day keeps the devil away. You need to be reading the Bible until you're saturated. If not, you are in danger. You're in danger. You're in danger. But then you get your not reading the Bible as you should. I still read my Bible, but you're not reading it as you should. And then you allow one thing in your life. One little step. You allow one little sin. What's the wrong matter if I look at this one website? What's the matter if I have this one disobedience? What's the matter if I have this one bitterness? What's the matter if I do this one little thing? Nothing's going to happen to me. No lightning's going to hit. You are correct. But you don't realize that the punishment should not be the danger. It's the idea that you're going to get what you want and take a step further and further and further. Before anyone has a public fall, it starts with a private failing. It starts for them not being in their Bible as they should. And then they allow a small sin in your life. Now, most of the time, preachers are known for preaching on big sins. But I'm asking you tonight, what are the small sins that you allow in your life? What is that small thing that you just allow? No big deal. Nothing's ever happened to me before. Not a big deal at all. It is a big deal. It is the first step away from the Lord. It is the first step from violating another commandment to another commandment to another commandment to another commandment. One little step. So what is that one small thing that you allow? What is that small little thing that's my guilty pleasure? That one little thing where nobody knows about it. And you may be right. What's that one thing that you allow that's going to open up the gates to allow you to take another step and then another and then another? What is the small principle that you are violating? What is the first command that you're disobeying? Sometimes people say, well, I just didn't make a decision to do what's right. No, you made a decision to disobey. You either obey or disobey. It's as simple as that. We make things complicated. You either obey what God said or you choose to disobey. Maybe it's not a sin that you're allowing. Maybe there's something you're just not doing. You, God's told you. The principle's been showed to you. But I don't want to obey that. It's too uncomfortable. It's too much. What is that small step that you've already allowed? Let me tell you the good news is you could come back. Now's the time to come back. Now's the time to repent. Now's the time to get back and to look at the Lord. Now's the time to determine that I'm going to be in my Bible as I should. So I don't walk away. Before anyone has a public fall, it starts with a private failing. 
It starts with you not being in your Bible as you should and then allowing a sin in your life that's small, inconsequential, doesn't even matter, but it's going to lead you step by step by step away from the Lord. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.